Welcome to the Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. We just kind of like skip past it all the time, Bruce, but we are such huge fans of Trader Joe's. They've been sponsoring this podcast for five years. Um, what are you eating these days from Trader Joe's? As a matter of fact, Stu, last night, and, and this had nothing to do with our podcast, but I ended up eating... Uh, four cheese ravioli from Trader Joe's. It was fantastic. Um, it's, I mean, it's great when your title sponsor is a place that you shop and you go to multiple times a week. Um, but it was really good. Uh, I think I've said on here that like I eat their tuna fish pretty much when I'm home often for lunch, but there's just so much stuff we get from there. And so as we're getting close to a very festive time of the year with, with the holidays, I don't know if it's, probably too soon to talk Thanksgiving, but not it's around the corner, but there's just a lot of foods that's very seasonal that I think it's the, it's like a, the best place to go to. So and it's very festive there, no matter what the holiday is, that's coming up, they're going to have it decorated for it. The, the team is so uh, like, it's the one place you go to shop where the people that work there, the team, as they call them, seem genuinely happy and excited to be there every day. So as always, support Trader Joe's, support the Audible. Um, it is we, we've done a lot of content this week on the Athletic about midseason, midseason All American team, midseason freshman All American team, bowl projections. Um, let's just take a second to to size up halfway through the season where we think the playoff race stands. Um, you know, starting with after this Tennessee Alabama game this past week, obviously. We mentioned it on the podcast. I've heard it, seen it mentioned a lot other elsewhere. That scenario where Georgia beats Tennessee, but Tennessee still finishes 11 and one is Tennessee next in line from the SEC. And I guess my first question would be, do you, or do you just think it's a given that two, two SEC teams will make it? Pretty close. Yeah. I mean, I feel like with you're looking at uh, Alabama and I don't think, Either one of us think, given what we've seen from Alabama in the first half, as we said, very fortunate to survive Texas um, and playing a back against really a backup quarterback for Texas in the second half. Um, very fortunate to survive against a dreadful Texas A&M team. That was dreadful. That's too strong. But a very mediocre Texas A&M team. And then, and that was at home. And then obviously they lose to Tennessee at Tennessee. Um, I still think they're the best team in the SEC West. And if they go, look, if they go to the SEC title game and lose to whether it's Georgia or Tennessee, I don't think, I don't think a two loss Alabama is going even at 11 and two, uh, that I don't think would happen. Um, so it's interesting in that, you know, I could see possibly, I don't know. Let me ask you this. Do you feel like there's a stronger chance right now of two SEC teams or a stronger chance of two SEC East teams? Um, I'm not throwing in the towel on Alabama yet. I, I mean, last year, everybody thought Georgia was going to beat them in the SEC championship game, and, and they turned around and clobbered uh, Georgia. Now, last year, I thought, you know, last year, I really do think you avoided a controversy by them winning. Because I think if they had lost, they would have had two losses. And can you imagine the reaction if two loss Alabama had gotten the fourth playoff spot over undefeated Cincinnati? 
people would have been furious. However, we watched them play like they were the better team. Um, but I think people would be very uncomfortable with that. So um, I think what's by different. The, by the way, to be clear, people don't make this decision. The committee does. The committee makes that decision. And the committee has this like kind of, you know, easy out for whatever they do, because they can always just invoke the eye test or stats or whatever they want. Or game control. Game control. Anything anything they want, right? Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, like Alabama is always going to get that benefit of the doubt if they're in the conversation. I think what makes this season interesting is that, not that we're late into the season, but at the midway point that there are still undefeated teams from all five power conferences. That's not always the case. And so obviously people start thinking, well, what if there's, you know, what if there's more, more playoff teams than there are spots, uh, which at which point I always remind people that over the second half of the season, we are going to see some of these undefeated teams lose games. You wouldn't have expected them to lose uh, is very hard to make it through a season undefeated. Um, but you don't have to be undefeated to make the playoff. And so all of these things that are assuming two SEC teams means you either think that that a lot of those teams end up with two losses or that a one-loss SEC team that doesn't win the conference championship um, is going to get in over a 12 and one champ elsewhere. What do you like? Like if, if it's, let's say, in your scenario, it's 11 and one Tennessee. And, you know, we've got a big 10 champ in there, obviously, probably um, Clemson. Let's, let's say Clemson. Clemson's undefeated. Uh, but you've got like either a 12 and one big 12 champ or a 12 and one pack 12 champ. Is that team going to get bumped by the second SEC team? I, I suspect they would um, judging it by a case by case basis. Let's look first at the Pac-12, right? So let's say somebody knocks, uh, beats UCLA. If UCLA is undefeated, I think they're going. Nobody right? undefeated is getting left out. This is the twelve and one scenario. Yeah. So, but let's say let's start with Oregon, right? So they have UCLA this weekend. It's at home. Uh, UCLA would then be their best win, and then you know they don't play USC in the regular season. They're going to get Utah later in the year. Utah is now 15th. I don't know where they'll be at that point. Let's say they're around that spot, somewhere between 15 and 10. That would be two good wins and then obviously a Pac-12 title where there's no divisions, but in this case, and that, you know, the fact that there's no divisions this year, I think really would help Oregon because the next best team in what was formerly known as a Pac-12 North is Oregon State. And if Oregon, you know, if Oregon's coming through there, Oregon would have already were thinking have beaten Oregon state at Oregon state. So then Oregon state, and then you'd have to beat them twice or you're going to beat them again. Oregon, Oregon state at best would be a three loss team. You're not, you know, maybe they'd be ranked, but I doubt it. Right. So they're not going to get much push. And then the elephant in the room is their opening game. They didn't just lose. They lost by almost 50 to Georgia. So that's why I think they're a unique case as opposed to I don't think they're I don't like their chances with that me, first, yeah first and I don't yeah, I mean I think love... that's why you can't apply so 12 and one pack 12 champ UCLA especially if they win this game this weekend or even if they lose this game this weekend but turn around and win out or 12 and one USC is gonna have a good resume and they're not gonna have a bad loss necessarily on theirs whereas Oregon 
is going to be, you know, especially if Georgia is one of the other playoff teams and has a 49 to three. Nobody loss. wants to see that rematch. Nobody wants to see that rematch. And, and the, the committee has specifically left teams out in the past that had a bad, you know, lopsided loss on their schedule. Now the counterpoint would be, so we're saying that teams don't get better. I mean, you know, that was first game for Dan Lanning. Um, if, if they turn around and win 12 straight games, they're still going to get left out because of what happened three months earlier. Like I could see the argument that that's not necessarily fair. Maybe. Um, I, I look the UCLA piece. If they are a one loss team, theoretically they would based on what you're saying, if they're a 12 and one team, they would have avenged their only loss because if they lose this weekend to Oregon, and then beat USC, then they're probably playing them for the Pac-12 title, and then they would have beaten them. Or if they beat Oregon, then that gives them another good win, and it's on the road. And then if they lose to USC in, um, at the end of the year, but then go on to beat them in a rematch, then they've avenged that loss. Whereas I think if you're USC, um, you, know, you would have had to beat UCLA potentially twice or beat UCLA in Oregon. I think the thing that hurts USC a little bit, and look, UCLA's non-conference isn't very good either, but Notre Dame being so mediocre this year, maybe six and six, you know, who knows what they're going to be at the end of the year. It's not going to help USC at all to have that, right? And so I think if I were to slot them, I, you know, USC's chances are probably a little better than than Oregon's because they don't have that that just absolute ass-kicking that came out of the season. But, you know, again, they're, I think they'd have a shot, but I don't think their shot is that great um, because, again, all the, you know, one loss Pac-12 team is, I, I think they're, the, the conference is past history. It's unfortunate, but it's been so down for like the last five years. I think it's like inherent bias that just reading what the committee is going to say, I feel like they're going to ding them for that. Or they're going to say their defense isn't very good. They gave up all those, you know, like I just right. feel like that's going to be held against them. People are going to go, yeah, but their defense is really suspect. Well, look, uh, the reason, the main reason George Kyovkov went to this no division format is for this reason, right? So you go into the championship game, no divisions, guaranteed that that if there's a team or two teams in that with playoff, uh, that's still in the playoff race, that they're going to get a chance to add a really good win at the end of the year. Whereas sometimes in the conference championship game, you're playing a nine and three or eight and 14 from the other side. Clemson is a team that it's kind of weird. They, for, for being such a powerhouse of these last, I don't know, six or seven years, they're sitting there at seven and oh, they, they've, you know, over the last few weeks beaten um, a bunch of, you know, ranked teams from the, uh, from their division. And it just, they don't get talked about at all. Um, they play undefeated Syracuse this week. If they win that game, at that point, I would feel pretty confident that if that team, even if that team stumbles once down the stretch, that that team makes the playoff. What do you think? Um, No, I'm not no. that confident because I think people would look at that as if they, if like you're saying they beat Syracuse this week and then stumble over the, one of the last four games. No. I wouldn't be that confident because look who they're playing. The last four games are all going to be on unranked teams. Notre Dame, not good. Louisville, not good. Miami, not good. South Carolina, not good. If you stumble against one of those two teams, 
And then you're going to play a, you know, they didn't do what Klyovkov did. They're still in divisions. So even if they get North Carolina, look, North Carolina is six and one. I feel like they're like quietly six and one because they were struggling, you know, in some games and gave up a boatload of yards right along the way. And they have a bat. They don't have a rate, you know, very good loss against that Notre Dame team. You know, look, maybe, maybe North Carolina will be 11 and one when they play them. And, you know, no matter what you do, if you're 11 and one in a power five conference, you're going to be ranked in the top 15. So maybe maybe that's overstating it. But I think if you stumble, if you're Clemson against one of these teams, I don't think, you know, people are going to look and say, okay, who have you beaten? Wake Forest, that's a good win. NC State, without Devin Leary, it's unfortunate, but, like, I don't feel like NC State's going to be a top 25 team, you know, at the end of the year. You know, maybe they're going to be a, an 8-4 and four team or so like that. Um, so I, I'm not as... Look, I don't think they're going to lose a lot, you know, the rest of the regular season. But if they do, I don't I think that would drudge up some of the same skepticism that you had going in, you know. I think you might have a little bit of a short memory. Clemson has made it into the playoff in the past, losing to Syracuse. Um, I remember the 2016 team lost at home to Pitt. I think Pitt might have been like an eight and four team. At the end of the day, if you have top you need to have top 25 wins. And I think come the end of the season. They're not going to have a lot, Stu. They're going to have Wake Forest and probably Syracuse. And that might be it. And I would say whoever they play in the title game. Well, Three, whoever they play in the title game better with, be North Carolina because look at the rest of that division. Oh, Nobody else is going to Okay. Right. I just, a 12 and one team with three top 25 wins, like, all right, go look at some of those SEC teams. You think they're going to have more than three top 25 wins? It's, you know, my experience tracking this over the years, you might the most you'll ever see is four, and then plenty of teams have gotten in with three. So, the thing I would caution you a little bit though is they may not have three, they may, they may not, right? Like Wake Forest and Syracuse are going to play, you know, all like a couple of these Florida State is going to play, you know. Are you Pitt sure you're going to be able to? Is your playoff going to have like three SEC teams and the Ohio State Michigan winner? What about the Big 12? Okay, where we're down to what one undefeated team? TCU. Uh, right. TCU. And I don't, nothing against TCU. I just don't think they're going to go 12, 13 and 0. Um, see, the interesting thing about the Big 12 is exactly what we were just talking about. Um, I think the Big 12 is very deep. You know, you asked me if, if all 10 could get into a bowl. When Scott Doctor and I did our midseason, we did have nine Big 12 teams in it. Um, who are you leaving out? Iowa State, who is okay. 0 and 4 in the in the Big 12. But I don't know that you're going to get to the end of the season and have beaten four top 25 teams. You know, I think right now they've got T- they have four teams in the top 25 right now. But let's say let's say TCU loses to K State this week, but turns around and wins the Big 12, they're going to have beaten a ranked Oklahoma State team and a ranked Texas team. Like that's not really any different than what you're talking about with Clemson. So I, I still think if you're a 12 and one power five champ, you're more than likely, you're more likely to get in than not get in. It's the, but of all the ones we've mentioned, Oregon to me is the, is the, I think that's going to be a tough sell. Uh, you know, even if they've won 12 in a row, 
with that 49 to three loss on the resume. So if I, why don't we just do rank, this? Let's, let's Who are your four? Let's no, no, let's take a step back. Let's rank. And I'll give you the team since you drudge them up. Uh, if they have one loss, Clemson, uh, Clemson, let's say North Carolina, because they would be 12, the 12 and one if they went, went out. UNC is not going to go 12. Can we just take that up. off? The... Just, just, just humor <laughs> Come on. Just humor me. Did just you tell me, me to shut up at one point? Lovingly. <laughs> Clemson, <laughs> they got clobbered by Notre please, Dame. Just, okay, then you're going to put them at the bottom. Okay. Clemson, North Carolina, Oregon, TCU, Oklahoma State, and then the three Pac-12 schools in question. You want me to rank all these teams in order? Who do you think would have the best chances of getting in? I, I feel like... You know, you are Oregon or North Carolina. Who do you think has less of a chance? North Carolina would have beaten Clemson at the end of the year, by the way. Well, is, you're asking me to rank them, assuming they do get to 12 and one. Yes, if they were 12 and one. Yeah, I think Oregon has the least chance because of that loss of any of these teams. Okay. So and then UNC would probably be. Even though they beat Clemson, to me, Clemson would be a better win than anything else on this list. But how many are they going to get before that? I, well, let's think about this for a second. Then I'm going to ask you a follow-up question that has just dawned on me. Um, so, yeah, this is not going to be great. They would have to win at Wake Forest, which would be a, certainly a good win. As I said, I don't think NC State's going to be ranked. They could make it to the, N to the uh, ACC title game with one top 25 win. And it's probably only one top 25 win. And they're going to ding I mean, them. The committee's going to ding them for giving up 61 to App State um for for um you know how all these close win you know meeting uh you know my they've played Miami and Duke and beaten them by three the last couple weeks. Um, lost to lost to a pretty mediocre uh Notre Dame Notre Dame team gave up 45. So I'm telling you Oregon has the least chance UNC has the second least chance. Now if I go to the top who has the best chance of all of these mm -hmm. I think Clemson for two reasons. Like I said, I do think they'll have th around three top 25 wins. And also these committee members are human beings. They have brand bias. They know Clemson is, has won recent national championships. Like they, they're, they're more of a proven commodity than any of the other teams you've brought up. USC is a big brand, but they haven't had that success recently. Yeah. Okay. Before we get to the mailbag, I feel like I'm compelled. Like I have Ralph Russo's voice in my head. He'd probably be still listening to this and go, what does Stu have against Mac Brown? What do I have against Mac <laughs> Brown? His defense. <laughs> nothing more, nothing less. I mean, you just saw Notre Bruce, you just saw Notre Dame. I feel like you snub him at every turn you, you get. You just saw Notre Dame get um, completely shut down by Stanford. You saw them lose to Marshall. They beat Notre Dame 40. I mean, they beat UNC 45 to 32. Don't worry, this is going to be a moot case because they're like UNC. They're going to lose to Wake. They're going to lose to Wake, and I'll probably one more. Um, Possibly, you know maybe we pit this week. Maybe we should have thrown Wake into this discussion. Can Wake unless they unless Clemson gets knocked off because they lost to Clemson? Yeah, that's the thing. No they chance. would need they would need Clemson to lose twice. Eleven and one Wake Forest. What about eleven and one Syracuse? Yeah, no, fair enough. But I was going to say, like, Wake Forest, if they because they lost close to Clemson, 
and it, um, you know, by six points and it was a back and forth game. But if Clemson loses the ACC title to a 10 and two, let's say UNC Wake Forest has no shot at 11 and one. Let me simplify this. I think Clemson's the only ACC team that can get in. I think UCLA or USC at 12 and one would get in. Um, the big 12, 12 and one big 12 champion TCU or Oklahoma state is going to be right in the mix, but, and that's where you get into, would they take 11 and one Tennessee over, uh, or, you know, over what about a 12 and or 11 and one Georgia, if they lose to Tennessee, what about over, a 12 and one, what about a 12 and one K state with a loss, <laughs> loss to a, an AAC two lane school? Well, the interesting thing there would be if what if Tulane is twelve and one? That that would be quite the, the you know Tulane's not making the playoff, but what if you took Kansas State over them? I think we need to simplify. Bruce, I think we need to simplify this. A bunch of top twenty-five wins along the way. This has been a very confusing exercise. Just tell me your four playoff teams. Um, okay, I'm going to go with. This is actually harder than it was a week ago. Um, I'm going to go with. Georgia, Clemson, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama. I'm, I'm. That's very close to mine. Which is. Uh, so what am, what am I doing to Tennessee here? Am I having them get upset in addition to, in addition to losing at Georgia? Or are they just getting? Or you're having Tennessee? So or you're having Georgia? lose to Alabama in the SEC title game. <laughs> Which wouldn't shock me, to be honest. And we saw it, obviously, before. So Teams are um, going to get better. Like, Alabama, uh, uh, you know, and Alabama, more than anyone, you know, has a hist- long history of, you know, they lost to Ole Miss. Are they vulnerable? Uh, they lost to A&M last year, who didn't turn any out shot like good. Kentucky and they turn things Tennessee? around from there. Any shot Kentucky not? Yeah, there's, no, no, there's definitely Georgia. a shot. Yeah. yeah. Um, Team, this is college football. I'm telling you, there will be losses down the stretch you, you do not see coming. My four are three of mine are the same. Um, Clemson, Ohio State, although I'm I am not, you know, that that is a toss up to me. I'm taking Ohio State over Michigan just because it's in Columbus. Uh, so Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, Tennessee. All right, let's get to the mailbag. As always, send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com. The first question is from Wes in Knoxville. Love the pod as a longtime Tennessee fan. I keep hearing people talk about the Josh Heupel offense, all the easy throws and then Hooker gets, and how Heupel's offense can scheme everyone open. I believe we're going to score every time we have the ball. If this offense is so insane, why don't more schools run it? Or do they? Or is it what Heupel is doing is so unique? I can only think of Tennessee, Ole Miss, Oklahoma, Arkansas that run the Baylor Bryles slash veer and shoot. Thanks. Utah State runs a version of this because their OC had worked with um, some of the some of these guys back at UCF. So they 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 do it in terms of where the Receivers are lining up, you know, using the whole width of the field and some of that other stuff. There's variations of it, but Utah State's definitely one of them. All right, so two things, just to give people a little bit of background. First of all, I did not realize until this question that the old Baylor Art Browse offense now is now called the Veer and Shoot. Did you know that? Um, I didn't know. I didn't know it either. I think it was retroactively. I did a Google search. I think it was retroactively invented as a name 
I'm, I, I could be totally wrong here, but I think it might have been by Ian Boyd, who writes for foot, uh, Football Study Hall, SB Nation. Um, it was definitely not called that at the time. Then the the commonality here. OK, so Josh, Josh Heupel is actually a really interesting one because he never worked for for Bryles or anybody from the Bryles tree. He worked with. Let's see if we make sure I get the chronology here right. Joe John Finley, who was a tight end at Oklahoma when Heupel was on the Oklahoma staff. Joe John Finley spent one season as an analyst at um, Baylor. Baylor. When Bryles was still there. Then when Heupel got the OC job at Missouri, he brought him with him. And that's when he started basically creating this monster that he has. That he had at UCF and that he has now. Whereas Ole Miss is more straightforward. Um, Lane Kiffin has had both uh, Kendall Bryles and Jeff Levy as an OC at one time or another and Oklahoma now has Jeff Levy and Arkansas has Kendall Bryles. I don't know that if the Lane Kiffin playbook at this point has a lot of Baylor influence in it, it's probably still in there, but it's not the whole offense. Like it might, like it is at Tennessee. So I, here's what I'll say when, when Bryles had it going, I remember being puzzled why more teams weren't like at that point, there was nobody else running it. And I remember thinking, and it was also, if you recall, kind of um, there was a lot of dismissive comments about it. Like this is a gimmicky high school offense. And I'm thinking if the receivers are wide open, then I don't care if it's a high school or giving offense. Just just run it. Um, I would like to have wide open receivers if, if that's my team. So why do you think it hasn't spread beyond that tree? I think coaches do what they usually know and what they hang their hats on. Right. So a lot of offensive coaches you know, already have what's kind of their identity. And it's almost like you don't dabble in air raid. You either do it or, you you know, it's like maybe there's some certain concepts you pick up, you know, but for the most part, I feel like coaches typically, they do what they do. It's like I had somebody bring this up the other day. We, you know, we've, we've talked a bunch about slow mesh on the podcast for the last year, but like Stanford tried to dabble in it. And mm-hmm. it's like either it's a big part of your identity or or you just don't do it, right? Um, and so I think that's one of the things that has has come out of it. And look, there's certain times when the offense works great and there's some, certain times when it certainly doesn't. I think it's it's a lot on who's operating it and how good they are and how efficient they are. Right? You got to have um, the quarterback. You know, you can, you can scheme this all you want. You got to have the, a great quarterback. And Heupel had... Drew Locke at Missouri, um, uh, uh, a season or most of a season of Mackenzie Milton, and then Dylan Gabriel, who I went and looked back, and my goodness, the stats when he was at UCF. Uh, and now Hennon Hooker, who's tremendous. Well, you also have to have good receivers. And certainly, you know, they had a lot of athletes at UCF. You see some of those guys in the NFL. You know, Baylor, what was interesting is they had a lot. It was like a track team out there. Now, yeah. a bunch of those guys did not translate well to the NFL. And people say, well, they weren't running the you know NFL-style routes. And there was a lot of, you know, it was just different. Now, some of the things that's also unique, you, know, you got to keep in mind, like the, the NFL, and again, just because, because it may not be ideal in the NFL is not the question that Wes is asking. But like in terms of why it's, why it's really good, effective especially in college maybe versus nfl is and why it's probably a harder evaluation for nfl people to to look at hendon hooker you know age notwithstanding i mean he's definitely a little older than probably most quarterback prospects coming out of college but it's like you're 
with the hash marks is different. Yes. So the field, you know, where you're lining up, you know, in the NFL, you are basically in the middle of the field most of the time. From what I understand, and I'm not, you know, like a, a, a savant of, of offensive football, but from what I understand, that is like one of the big keys to the to the Bryles offense is the wide hash marks. Um, I know who is a good example of this doesn't translate to the NFL. Do you remember how dominant Corey Coleman was as a receiver? Yeah, I mean, he was, yeah, he was a great player there. Yeah, he just great player, first round great. pick and did not translate in the NFL. Um, well, I think you're right that you don't see a lot of coaches just copy somebody else's offense entirely without having personally, like all of these air raid coaches at some point, uh, and it's, you know, air raid is much more prevalent than this one, um, is, you know, they all at some point worked under either leech or a leech disciple. Um, so yeah, but it'll be interesting if, if Tennessee does make the playoff, um, you know, riding cause Baylor never made the playoff. They came close. If Tennessee makes the playoff with this offense, I have to imagine you're going to see more. Well, out there. well, the guy to watch, I think. So his play caller now is a guy named Alex Golish. And he was up for some OC jobs. He has got an interesting path. He's originally from Moscow, not Idaho, Russia. And he was a student assistant under Jim, Jim Trestle at Ohio State. Um, had some time with Matt Campbell. And then he got on at UCF. And last year he took over play calling duties there. And they've hit the ground running. And they are obviously got a really good quarterback. And they have a good thing going. Um, I imagine with the success they're having, um, Alex Golish is either going to, you know, people are going to try to hire him away to run their offense or to give him his own program because he's the, I would say he's the first one of this hypo tree that I think you could see from Tennessee become upwardly mobile with the success they're having there. We've got another Tennessee offense related question. And this one is going to hit home for you, Bruce from Tyler, big fan of the show, longtime listener, first time caller. Writing to you from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. I just want to get your thoughts on how you feel comparing 2022 Tennessee against 2019 national champion LSU Tigers, both with second-year head coaches, a transfer quarterback in his second season with the team, a fun offense, studs at receiver, and big wins against Alabama. That is not the first comment or email I've seen asking about comparing those two offenses. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, as good as Hendon Hooker has been, and it's like we're only halfway through writing this chapter. Like, I think you got to keep in mind, like you were at the tenant, the the LSU Texas game, right? And it was back mm -hmm. and forth, and like I don't think people knew like when they got on board and go, okay, Joe Burrow is insanely good. You know, it was like I think it probably happened. You know, LSU happened, LSU Alabama happened later in the season. You know, it was a November game as opposed to a, you know, mid early October game. You know, so I think you had more of a track record for what Joe Burrow was doing. I think you also had, um, you know, look, these receivers are good. What's interesting for, for me on this is they just won without their best receiver, right? I mean, Cedric Tillman hasn't been there for a little while. Um, you know, I think, I think, and I, I definitely think Hendon Hooker's playing terrific and he's number one on my Heisman ballot. Joe Burrow to me was just in so much command. He was a coach on the field in a, just a different way than any, honestly, any quarterback I've ever been around in college. I can't say I've seen anything quite like that. 
But look, Hendon Hooker has Hendon Hooker goes out and lights up Georgia and they win. Yeah, that know? would be mm-hmm, that yeah. would be like that's to me, like that's the that's the different right part of it. Like what happens, you know, as the season goes on. Cause right now, you know, look, he has checked every box, and I think that's been pretty awesome what he's done. Um, but it's still really, you know, it's we're not that far into it, you know what I mean, in terms of that. Whereas and again, Hendon Hooker played a lot more than Burrow did when he was a, as a transfer. He actually played at Virginia Tech. Joe Burrow wasn't getting on the field at Ohio State. Yeah, I'm not ready to go there with the Tennessee offense yet. I mean, first of all, you knew the LSU offense was special at the time, but it, I feel like it's been even confirmed since then when you have you know, Joe Burrow lead the Cincinnati Bengals to the Super Bowl. Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson are already two of the, the best receivers in the NFL. Clyde Edwards-Alaire... Um, you know, he always gets overlooked from that team, but he was a huge part of it. So and he was a first round pick as well. We I mean, talked a lot about at the time, you know, especially like once we got to the playoff about how the, the I remember you were you kind of embedded with them at the SEC title game. Mm-hmm. And what, what you came back from that with was these guys just seem to know that they're going to beat everybody like they, they, they know that how that they're indestructible, basically. And I don't know that we're quite there yet with Tennessee. Like they start just crushing everybody they play. Then you start to have that 2019 LSU type vibe, or frankly, I know this is a sensitive topic, but you've got to put 2020 Alabama in that conversation. They crushed everybody they played. Yeah. I would also, you know, put it this way too, you know, again, in the context of just beating Alabama, um, LSU, when they beat Alabama, that was their fourth top 10 win. Right now, again, I do not want to diminish the jo- you know, what Josh Heupel or Hendon Hooker have done, but that's their first top 10 win, right? So we need to see it a lot more um, before we're at that point. But so far, I, I love what I've seen from them. The Georgia game will be a defining moment. They'll be playing the defending national champ, who I assume will be undefeated, um, in Athens. So... Let's let's revisit it after that. Why don't you ask this next one? All right. Uh, next question from Craig in Detroit. Hey, guys, great show. Curb celebrates its 22nd anniversary last week. I can't wait for the next season. Me neither. And you as well. Um, my question is about CBS. My question is about CBS and the SEC. This weekend, the Tennessee-Alabama game was electric. I bet the number will surpass 11 million. I bet it will, too. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Is Craig a TV executive? He nailed that. It, it uh, did, in fact, surpass 11 million. Yeah, and almost it was 11 and a half million. In two years, they will get this is being CBS in two years. They will get the second or probably third best Big Ten game. That would be Illinois versus Minnesota or Michigan State versus Wisconsin. Do you think the CBS re- execs will regret their decision and have to watch the spite store on ABC <laughs> take all of their viewers? <laughs> the spite store. I love that reference. Um you know, it was made. If it was definitely talked about at the time that the Big Ten deal was made, there were definitely some eyebrow, eyebrows raised that CBS paid more for this, you know, number two or two and a half, we'll say, Big Ten package than ESPN paid for this SEC game of the week. And there's no way that you're ever going to get 11 million viewers for the second best Big Ten game in a week. You're going to get strong numbers. You're not going to get that. But I think he's forgetting one thing USC and UCLA are joining the conference. So whatever is the second or third best Big Ten game now, it's going to be upgraded, I would think. 
um, because you're going to have USC for one in the mix for a lot of those games. I just think live sports is at such a premium that if that CBS felt like we cannot afford to not have major college football on our air because it's such a, you know, you saw the numbers this week, even that he talked about the Michigan State Wisconsin game. Even that did, you know, uh, four million or something, four million or so view like that. Hmm, I don't think it was quite that much, but I did notice it was higher than the TCU Oklahoma State game, which was in that same window and was two undefeated teams and Wisconsin, Michigan State are not that good. So it just, you know, again, the brand power of those big 10 teams. So I don't know. I don't I don't know the economics of like what kind of audience would they have to get to to for that investment to pay off. But I think they're making a bet, and I think it's a wise bet that over the duration of that contract, you're going to want to have one of the two major college football conferences on your air every week. And you're not going to get, they're never, you know, what they're not going to get is, you know, those primetime LSU Alabama games that so many people watched, or this game this past week, or the, you know, Georgia Alabama game, which I assume will get similar huge numbers. But if you, if that game, I mean, I would imagine most games that week will have one of Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, or USC. Wouldn't you think? I would think, yes. Um, clarification, one thing. Yeah, you're right. It wasn't $4 million, It was $2.5 million. The other thing that was interesting is just for context, this comes came up a lot about Big 12 and you know who was left. Oklahoma State TCU, undefeated matchup. Got 2.1 million viewers. It got less viewers than a horrific Stanford team against a really mediocre Notre Notre Dame team. Yeah, I'm staying out of this one. <laughs> you you can you can talk about Big 12 TV ratings. No, but I think I think that is like if if anybody wonders where you know why this conversation has gone in the like that's a pretty telling thing. Yeah. Now maybe maybe some of that had to do with um oklahoma state tc was also up against alabama tennessee and that was a way more compelling game but stanford notre dame was also up against you know a down to the you know a wild utah usc game no the more Um, the more the more the more damning thing is that um that wisconsin michigan state was also against the alabama tennessee game they were not two undefeated teams it did not go to overtime and it did better than the big there were two teams who were going to struggle to get bowl eligible yeah. So that's that's the that's that's what frustrates Big 12 fans because these are good programs. TC and Oklahoma State are good programs. For whatever reason, they don't have national appeal. So, you know, now if it, that same game's taking place late in the season and they're undefeated, that's a different story, but um, you know, that's yes, those I was going to try to avoid weighing in on it because Big 12 fans there hate you me. Are. But, but you are. yeah, you, you brought it up just just for everybody's, you know, I was going to skip right past it, but Bruce brought it up. Okay. All right. Carrie in Brooklyn, New York. I hadn't thought of this. Um, Bryce Young's heroic performance versus Tennessee only reinforced a nagging issue for me regarding the Tides QB succession plan. I really don't see either of the current backups nor the two incoming recruits as ready enough for Saban next season. So is the portal the answer? And if so, my candidate would be JT Daniels. He's mercenary enough to move on yet again. And what better way to end his five-star odyssey than lead the tide in the SEC and possibly over the dogs. Um, is JT, does JT Daniels have another year of eligibility? 
I think he does. I think he does. Yeah. Because he missed a season to injury and he has the free COVID. He missed two seasons to injury. He did? Yeah. All right. So I assume Kerry knows that and that's why he included it. So, all right. So he's he's right. Jalen Milrow did not. um, By the way, JT Daniels is a redshirt junior. So, yes. You know. Yeah, he's right. Jalen Milrow did not um, look like the next starting quarterback of the Alabama in that game. Um, but I would remind him about what, how did Mac Jones look the first time he had to come in for Tua. Uh, I would also not write off Ty Simpson. I think he's he's a really talented freshman in there. I think he has a chance to to battle for it. And the question is going to be, who do you have more confidence in? But I, I definitely think there will be guys – you know, like this, who will look around and go, okay, what are my, you know, what are my best options, especially if Alabama continues to upgrade the receiver room? Um, you know, I don't know what they do. You know what's interesting, by the way? Um, I started looking at this just to see who else would be eligible or whatever. You know, Sam Hartman's only technically a junior. He's a guy I, who feels like he's been around uh, forever. No, I, I believe you. I feel like he's because, he, you know, they always feel like they've been around forever if they started as true freshmen. Look, at the end of the day, anybody that has a year of, has at least a year of eligibility left could theoretically be Alabama's quarterback next year. Right. The, what if what if um, I don't think this would happen? But what if Grayson McCall decided he wants to uh, spend a season in the with the big boys? Um, Nick Saban has not hesitated to up, use the portal to upgrade where he thinks they need an upgrade. Right. So if he thinks he could get better at the quarterback position by getting a, a, a transfer, yeah, I think he would do it. But we don't know like what they're seeing behind the scenes, what kind of confidence they have in, in the younger guys. And again, like I just, I just remember Mac Jones really struggled, especially in the Iron Bowl. Um, and you just did not think, well, yeah, that guy's going to be the next great Alabama quarterback. And he was. And, and became a first round pick, became a high first round pick. So don't give up on the backups just yet. All right. This question is from Lawrence Bentley in Westford, Mass. Years ago, I remember the college football laughed at the Big 12 for 62 57 football games. Fast forward to now, Alabama, one of the top tier SEC teams, let's be honest, the top tier SEC team, gave up 567 yards, 52 points, and had 17 penalties in regulation against the Vols. How come Alabama isn't catching the heat the Big 12 caught? And now, of course, the Big 12 actually has some really good defensive teams. I think that in the days when the Big 12 was just all big, you know, Big 12 defenses became a meme. I think that people weren't accounting for. I'm not saying it wasn't completely unwarranted uh, because it seemed like a lot, you know, most of the teams played in that style. A good quarterback, a great quarterback can can beat the best defenses, regardless of conference. There were some great quarterbacks that came through the Big 12 um, when you go back to the likes of, of RG3 um, and, and uh, you know, Trevon Boykin was tremendous when he was at TCU. Um, all those Oklahoma quarterbacks. Who am I forgetting, Bruce? Throw, throw somebody out there. A Big 12 quarterback? Patrick Mahomes. You know, so maybe there were some bad defenses, but there were also some great quarterbacks. And the game we watched the other night had two of the best, if not the best quarterbacks in college football. And they, that's really hard to stop. Now come NFL draft time, you're going to see 
considerably more SEC defensive players get drafted than Big 12 defensive players. So the most talented defenses are in the SEC, although the Big 10, I think, has the top three in the country right now. Um, but that, but I, I agree with where he's getting at, where when you would see a score like that in the Big 12, everybody would immediately default to, well, those are just terrible defenses. And it would never be, well, maybe we just watched Kyler Murray and Will Greer uh, duke it out for 60 minutes and they're great quarterbacks. Whereas in the SEC, that's you automatically go there. Plus, the SEC has won all the national titles. Well, yeah. I mean, it starts there. Too. But I'm saying I don't think the SEC over the last 10 years, like all their defenses have gone to crap. You know, it's still they're still putting tons and tons of guys in the NFL. What's different is Alabama used to win national titles with Jake Coker or, you know, I went to the playoff with Blake Sims and now they've had four straight superstar quarterbacks that that's what's changed. All right. As always, you can send your emails to the audible pod at gmail.com. Bruce, I'm, I'm going on the road for the first time uh, in quite a bit this weekend. It's a short trip though. Uh, I wanted to go up and see the undefeated UCLA Bruins in person against the Oregon ducks. And I haven't been to a game at Autzen in way too long. It's such a great uh, setting for college football. Yes, and I'm going to your old stomping ground. I'm going to the state of Ohio, my first trip to see the Buckeyes. We have them against Iowa. So, so the first half on. of the season was the Michigan half, and the second half will be the Ohio State half. Yeah, get your digs in now. <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys next time. Mm-hmm.